this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled, The Making of a Little Hero. When I was a little boy, I would don all my make-believe armor and charge into imaginary battlefields to rescue and set free captives from dangerous dragons. However, now as a man, I long to be a hero of another kind. I want to be a miniature replica of the greatest hero of all, Jesus Christ. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Eric Ludi. The making of a little hero. This is a, this is a message that if I was going to dedicate it to someone, it'd probably be to Hudson. Uh, and you'll understand why as I progress. And so I have two parts to this message. If I was going to divide it up, even though I don't do this in the notes, part one is sort of an understanding of heroism, the biblical model for it. And then part two is my commission to my son. And there's some great tools in here for fatherhood in how we are raising not just our sons, but also our daughters. Because heroism is not just a male attribute. It's not just a quality that is supposed to emerge in men. However, it should be demonstrated as a primary in men in our culture. In other words, men should rise up and say, let me be the first hero. Let me be the one to demonstrate this, even unto the women. May they see it in me first. Now, the word hero is almost a little too grand uh, of a word for most of us. And so we'd rather diminish it. When we're talking about Christianity, of what we are to evidence and what we are to showcase, heroism? I mean, Jesus was a hero, but he's the hero. We're not. You know that when Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life, when he enters in and makes this body his home, you know that he showcases his behavior in and through it? If he was a hero, then you ought to be a hero. So we better define what hero is before we go any further. Heroism. The more mature and strong you become positionally in the kingdom, the lower a place socially you understand yourself to have, that those weaker than you have a claim on your strength. A hero is one who does not think highly of himself, but thinks highly of Jesus Christ. And because of his high opinion of Jesus Christ, and because of his maturity in the kingdom of heaven, the more mature and strong that he or she becomes, the lower a position in this natural realm they take. And so everyone around them is considered of more value than they. Everyone's needs are of more importance than their own. And so therefore, in any given situation, they are willing to relinquish their own rights to build up those around them stronger. As I always say to Hudson, we have our little questions that I walk him through, and we have six people in our family, and if there is only five plates of food, who goes hungry? Daddy. Daddy is always the one, because daddy's the strongest and the most mature, daddy is the one to relinquish his right to the food, to give it to those around him. And when we talk to the guys, we call that the first sufferer. The man is always the first sufferer. And when we talk about, you know, the big meanie coming to the door of the Ludi house, which I've mentioned you guys many times, hey, I want to come in and hurt someone. Daddy's the one that says, honey, take the kids into the basement. Daddy's going to handle this. However, if daddy's not home, it's mommy that must rise up and show that heroism and be the one to defend and put herself in harm's way. And even though she may die, her children are protected. That's a hero. 
That's the act of heroism. In other words, you treat others as more valuable than yourself. I was at an orphan conference. This is about four years ago now. And the statement was this. We ought to treat orphans as if they are equal to us. In other words, because we have a tendency to treat them as if they're lower-class citizens. We should treat them as if they're equal. I would like to amend that statement and say we ought to treat orphans as if they are far more valuable than us. We are their servants. We're Christians. Jesus, who is the most valuable? Who is the most powerful? Who is the most strong? The King of kings and Lord of lords comes, takes the lowest position. The greater you get in the kingdom of heaven, the lower position you take here on earth. So if you're maturing in your Christian walk, you take a lower position and you give of your strength, you give of your wisdom, you give of your plenty, you give to serve the weak around you. It's just the way it works. Heroism. The heroic mindset. So let's begin to unpack this Jesus style. Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What what a strange idea that is. This is the Christian idea, mind you, that we deem others as more important than ourselves. We look at each other and we see princes and princesses, and we ourselves paupers. And we serve and we give and we show deference to those around us. In 1 Corinthians 10, it actually says, instead of seeking your own, seek another's wealth. Could you imagine doing that? Seeking another's wealth. What a strange idea that is. We need to take care of ourselves. If you seek the kingdom of heaven as your priority, Jesus will take care of you. Biblical principle. We come into this life and because we behold the highness of our God, We recognize our position in the heavenlies. We are royalty. We are positioned in him in a heavenly place. We have the inheritance of the saints of God. When we are Christians, we actually behold the position that God has given us. And the first thing it does is it gives us freedom to take the lowest position here on earth. We have been given the highest position in all the heavenlies. And so what are we free to do? Take the lowest position down here. Follow Jesus' pattern. Let this mind be in you, which is the same word for attitude. Let this perspective, let this paradigm of thought be in you. That you are, you see, Jesus, it says, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He knew he was equal with God. It's okay. But he chose to take a lower place. Welcome to Christianity. We can be strong in Jesus Christ. We can be made new from wretches unto the righteous. However, in that process of transformation, we take the lowest place. And we fight to take the lowest place. Someone wants to wash our feet, the first thing we want to do is wash their feet next. If someone washes our feet, we look for someone else to wash. We will not be outdone. This is a competition of taking the lowest place. All the guys are jostling for position. You don't get the lowest place, I do. That's the right way of doing it. Did I finish this? No. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is the template, the Jesus pattern. 
Who is living in you when you are a Christian? Whose mind do you have? We have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what is this mind? It is a mind that is willing to take that lowly place, to take that place beneath, and to consider others as more important than ourself. The heroic step downward. So I've never seen and cannot even conceive of such condescension of what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, majesty on high, has done. However, let's get perspective here. If Jesus Christ did this, and he basically says, have this mind in you. He came all the way from the height of heights to the low of lows. And we're complaining about our little step down. One step. I mean, he came down like a meteor to the earth from such a great height. We're not that high. And God asks us to take a step down. This is the heroic step downward. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, which is how we finished the last uh, scripture, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You willing to follow that one? You willing to make yourself of no reputation? You know how hard that is? Because our reputation is one of the only things we have. But to be willing to be made of no reputation. You know what it says of him, Psalm 22, he was a worm and no man. To the Jews, the lowest life form was a dog. I mean, you kick dogs. Jesus was a worm and no man. He took the lowest of low places. He was lower than a Jewish dog. That is beyond comprehension. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form, not just of an earthly king, but of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Not just any death. He wasn't just obedient to death, which is, by the way, bewildering at the highest levels. God, can't you come and still maintain your dignity? Come as a king and rule. Command the Roman Empire to bow. Instead, he comes as a bondservant, takes on our form, humbles himself, and becomes obedient unto death. But it wasn't just, I think I was mentioning this to the students this week, it wasn't just a bullet that he took. The bullet was flying towards us and he jumped in front of it and took it for us. That's heroism. But this is heroism at a whole nother level. He was mocked and ridiculed and treated as the off-scouring of Israel, counted and numbered amongst criminals. He's one of them. He's worthy of death. Crucify him. The most humiliating death, naked before a crowd. That's our Jesus. The heroic position of strength. So what we see here is we see a pattern. We see a mindset of a hero. We see the willingness to come into a low position. And then we see the results of it. Because God didn't just come to that low position to die and be treated as a worm and no man. He was up to something. 
And it's the same thing that he's up to in you. And that is that strength echoes through the corridors of this earth when men and women follow in Christ's footsteps. There is power that comes forth in and through our weakness. When we are willing to be made small in the world's eyes, foolish in the world's eyes, outflows and crescendos forth a mighty, valiant strength. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given them the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The heroic obligation. When I teach on the measurement of a man, and I'm talking about the gradients and the growth and the maturity of a man, and I go from zero to ten, zero being a zero, ten being the perfect man, Jesus. Six, I call it the hero. It's pretty far along because most guys don't get past one or two. However, they esteem heroism, but a hero is not the kind of guy that goes and helps a woman across the street and then does an interview for the local paper about his, his great deed that he did. We're not just talking about a Cub Scout. We're not just talking about a Boy Scout that grows up and has to get a little medal for the award that he does or the work that he does. This isn't recognized. The true hero has to walk through a step of maturity before he can truly be a hero. And that step is he must be the misunderstood and the humiliated. Jesus was willing to be deemed illegitimate He was willing to appear to have come forth out of Nazareth. What good could come out of there? He's surrounded by rabble, fishermen, and tax collectors. What kind of Messiah would this be? We don't want that. That's not him. Why would God do this? And why would God do it to us? You see, a man must be purified. A woman must be purified in her motives. Why is she serving the living God? Why is he giving up his life? Is it for a photo op? You ever seen that whenever there's a natural disaster anywhere in the world? There are certain politicians that will always fly there and have their picture taken. Flash bulbs going off. The politicians look for the photo opportunity, the baby that needs to be held. They see the camera, or they reach out to the baby, kiss it on the cheek, snap, photo taken, front page of the paper. They did their job. They look like heroes, but that's a counterfeit. The real thing is willing to go to the back alleys of Bombay where no one will ever see. And you're willing to give up your life for a little child that might not live but another week. That's a hero. You do not do it for the photo op. You do not do it for the recognition. You do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. I was talking with 10 men. Oh, this was four years ago, and we were talking about the child soldiers in uh, Uganda, and the statement was, would we as 10 men, maturing, strong Christian men, be willing to go to Uganda to set one of those lives free? And what if the caveat was, we all died in the process? Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? Because in our humanistic mindset, we'd say, what a waste. Because that's 10 contributors to society and that's one young boy that no one cares about. That's not, a, that's not an equitable trade-off. Well, do you think it's an equitable trade-off to have the God of the universe come and save you? 
God isn't interested in our humanistic equity. He has a value system which is completely opposite of ours. He sees that little boy in Uganda and he sees a prince in his kingdom. And he says, where are 10 of my men? Yes, I'll spend you. I want that little boy. You already have life. You already have hope. You already have me. He doesn't. He will spend us to rescue the weak. And God's economy and his his sense of equity, he doesn't waste a drop of his saints' blood, just so you know. He's very efficient with his saints. However, he will spend us. It's been proven throughout history. And the blood of the martyrs has always proven the seed of the church. The heroic obligation, when you get strength, because when you come to Jesus Christ, there's something that happens. You get strength. You are remade. You see, if you're still living that Christian life, which is all centered on yourself and your woes and your issues, you probably don't yet have the true Christian life yet. Because the true Christian life sets you free from you so that you can focus outward. You actually have eyes now to see other people around you. Like, oh, I I could actually help. You're not constantly going, oh, woe is me. Oh, I can't deal with anyone's issues because I have so many weighing me down. Dear Lord Jesus, who can save us from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. New management comes in. He sets this body in order. We are no longer living after the flesh, the sinful propensities, the old man's agenda. We are now living after the pattern of the Spirit of God under the glory of Jesus Christ. We're useful. However, you aren't just given strength. You aren't just given a cleansing a reality where you are pure now and you don't need to live under the condemning voice of the enemy and the accusation. You're free. However, you're not free to just go and do whatever you want. You're now free to obey. You're free to follow. You're free to do what he lays on your heart. You could never do it before. You're free to carry the burdens of God. You guys know about the, uh, the trainload of Jews passing that one church in Germany. Uh, all those years ago, or maybe it was in Holland, I don't remember which country it was in, but a trainload of Jews was driving down the tracks and they saw a church early one Sunday morning and the church was a lit, you know, and it was, songs were coming forth out of the church. The organ was playing and the Jews saw a church. I mean, they're packed in like cattle and they stick their hands out of the slats of the car and they start screaming for the church to come to their aid. Because if anyone's going to help the poor Jews, who's it going to be? It's going to be the Christians, wouldn't it? Uh, doesn't that make sense? The church inside turned up the volume of the pipe organ to drown out the sound of the screaming Jews. We weren't in that church all those years ago, and so we can look at with horror upon what they did, but I want us to realize this is what we do all the time. We live in our fat, comfortable environment here, and we honestly don't really want to know what's going on out there. Why? Because we have way too much in our own plate already. So what do we do? We turn up and get more on our plate. We turn up the volume of the pipe organ so we can't hear We have a a video called Depraved Indifference on our website. Depraved Indifference is a legal statement. It's 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 actually a, a law in our country 
that if someone witnesses someone who could be rescued, like for instance, you're sitting on a park bench and someone is drowning out in the, out in the lake and you sit there and do nothing, you literally could be charged with murder. Depraved indifference is what it's called because it's, it's a perversion of humanity. You could do something and you didn't. And it literally is a charge of murder. We're suffering from depraved indifference. The reason is we're suffocating in our own selfishness. We must be set free from us. That's what the gospel does. That's what it specializes in. So it makes sense that after depraved indifference, we give the gospel as our next video. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the gospel sink into the deepest corners of our existence and set us free. So that when this dying world around us, when they're drowning, that we would say, what can I do? Tell me, God, what do you want of me? You want me to jump in the water? I may die. He goes, that's okay. All right. It's the heroic obligation. The heroic obligation is you've been given strength and you must spend it. Freely God has given to you. You must now freely give back. How did he give? He gave up his life for you. Now freely you give up your life for him. You know what communion is in a nutshell? When you take that body, you're saying your body for mine. It's an exchange. My body, you were broken, beaten, turned to a pulp. Take this. My body now belongs to you. Spend it any way you want. When you take that blood, you're saying, your life, your blood for mine. You have access to my blood, my life, and you can spend it any way you see fit. Next time you take communion, pause, because that's what it means. It's a covenant exchange. Him for you. You get the benefits of the king of kings, and you become his body. You get his life. However, he gets your body, and he gets your life. And he can do with it whatever he sees fit. And that's the heroic obligation. You are now a bondservant, made humble and obedient even unto death. The death of a cross. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. What a statement about our God. You know that he didn't just make intercession, which means he stood in the gap and took the hit that was rightfully ours. He didn't just do that 2,000 years ago. Do you know that it says that he ever lives to stand in the gap and be our strong man? He ever lives to do it. He saves us to the uttermost. That is the nature of our God. This is what he does. He has been given the great position exalted to the right hand of the Father. And what does he do with that? He spends his strength on us. He didn't just give us our, his strength 2,000 years ago. He still lends us everything that he is day in, day out. So there's a pattern here. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. And he has entered into us and makes our bodies his. And we ever live to make intercession for the weak around us. We ever live to stand in the gap. We can't do it. It's not really us. It's him. He has our body. He's leading us. We are merely his vehicles, but he is showcasing his nature and his behavior in and through the saints of God on earth. 
If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is saying, do you realize what I have done for you, you ought to do unto others? I am giving up my life for you. Are you willing to give up your life for the weak around you? I will lead you, says Jesus, to do precisely the same thing. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You have the sick, the naked, the poor, the uh, imprisoned. And Jesus says, How you're responding to them is how you're responding to me. Don't just sing me a love song. Demonstrate your love by serving those that I have hallmarked. We say, God, take my body and take my blood. And he says, I have a claim on your life now. See, when I enter into covenant with God, he has a claim upon me. And that weak person, that orphan, when they cry out to God, they say, God, you promise that you're a father to the fatherless. You know what he does? He calls on a father that is in covenant with him. And he says, remember that agreement you made with me? That you belong to me? You see that orphan? That orphan is precious to me. You respond and be me unto them. That's the heroic obligation. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, this is Paul speaking, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What a strange addendum that was added. Could you imagine you're sending out Paul and Barnabas? Paul is a preacher. Let him focus on preaching. He's going to reach the Gentiles. They need the gospel. And James, Peter, and John made something very clear. Just remember. Remember the poor when you go out. This is the gospel. You cannot separate the two. The liberals have taken the concept of reaching the poor, and so the conservatives hang out on the other side and go, oh, well, that's, you know, that's already, that's sort of a liberal issue. We, we give the gospel. We give the Bible. You better give Jesus. And you better demonstrate Jesus the same way Jesus demonstrated Jesus. This has always been in the gospel. God forbid that we give it over to those that don't fear God to take care of the weak on this earth. There are 148 million orphans in this world. And you know what most of us as conservative Christians say? I'm just so glad God is a father to the fatherless. He's a father to the fatherless in and through us. And the reason there's 148 million is because we aren't doing anything about it. I'm not saying none of us. There's a lot of us in here that care deeply about this. I've been focusing on the issue of orphans for four or five years now, and the number has grown five million. It's not going down since I threw my, uh, my efforts into it. It's skyrocketing upward. Five million. That's at least one million or more a year that's being added to the collective of orphans in this world. Men, little boys and girls without an advocate, without a helper, without anyone to provide for them. What in the world's going on out there? Church of Jesus Christ, we are called to respond. 
and to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. 27 million slaves. Most of them young girls in sex trafficking. That is extraordinary. If any of you have a young girl and you imagine that young girls at the age of six are being put on slave blocks and sold, and we are sitting around turning up pipe organs, we don't want to hear it. I know that we feel totally impotent to solve the riddle in this world. It's not our job to solve it. It's our job to do with what's right in front of us. If there was a man drowning in front of us, we know what to do. There might be 148 million men drowning. We're responsible for the one right in front of us. That's what a hero does. A hero doesn't try and solve 148 million orphans and 27 million slaves. They deal with the one right in front of them. The principles of lowliness. Luke 14, he, so he told the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you were invited by anyone, this is Jesus telling a parable, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and, and, and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. There's our line right there. But when you are invited, any environment you walk into, you take the lowest place. If someone wants to call you up, that's, that's their issue. But you always presume the lowest place. Why? Because you're a Christian. And it's not because you are lowly in God's eyes. You are a prince or a princess in heaven. You are an heir to the inheritance of Jesus Christ. However, this is an issue of modeling. The attitude and the behavior of Jesus Christ in any environment you come into, you always act as if you are the lowest and you wash the feet of everyone else in the room. Friend, go up, uh, when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see that last line? Look at the parallel between Philippians 2 and that last line. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Who's he talking about? He modeled it for you. You want to see what it looks like? He demonstrated this. He took the lowest place, and the Father called him up to the highest one. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great, for it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. Even Jesus didn't presume upon his position. How much more should we take the lowest place? This is just our model. It's the principle of lowliness. The kingdom caste system. In our system, we value those that are privileged, those that have wealth, those that have talents, those that have abilities. And we exalt them, we treat them as royalty, I've been in many green rooms uh, in my day, and I've been there with a lot of music groups that demand in their contracts that they have a certain buffet table with certain delicacies on the table. These are Christian bands, by the way. And that they have a, mas a massage therapist there and a table. 
That's just the way it works. Hey, if you want us to come in, it's $50,000 down, and then we'll come in as long as we have all these things. Otherwise, we'll walk. Uh, hmm. The kingdom caste system. Who's the most important? Who's the most important in the kingdom caste system? Is it those guys? They're the talented. Hey, they have a Christian message. They're celebrities. Then he said also to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. You know, Jesus gave a feast. It's called the Lord's Dipnon. It was a, it was a kingdom meal. It's called the Lord's Supper. And it was his own life. He gave his life, and who did he invite? He invited the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. You want to know what God is advocating for and where God is fighting? If you want to join up with him, well, he's there. He's at the right hand of the, the poor to save them from those that condemn their souls. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Here a work, the labor of love. It's just a quick list, sort of a quick enunciation of the biblical overview of hero work. Preaching the gospel, setting captives free, delivering the poor, clothing nakedness, putting the solitary in families, making the widow's heart sing for joy, healing the sick, comforting the weak, breaking the jaws of the evildoers and removing the prey from their teeth. That's what we're called to. You want me to go over that list again? Because it's an exciting list, by the way. Preaching the gospel, setting captives free, delivering the poor, clothing nakedness, putting the solitary in families, making the widow's heart sing for joy, healing the sick, comforting the weak, breaking the jaws of the evildoers and removing the prey from their teeth. I like that. Honor. We've gone through heroism, and now I want to combine it with something. It's something that we teach at Ellerslie. We have an entire message called honor, and then we have a five-and-a-half-hour message called decorum, well, which usually deserves a few laughs every time we get to even bring it up. Uh, whenever I'm saying, do you guys want a rerun message? Do you want me to repeat a message? And, you know, we're voting, and then there's always some wise guy in the group that goes, decorum! As if we're going to repeat five-and-a-half hours of decorum. But honor isn't the primary of the gospel. Honor is a secondary result. God needs to get you into Christ. And that's why I'm pointing out to the lake. Into the water. Cleanse you. Remove the husk of your old man from you. And then bring you back to newness of life. And make you available for new management. Make you available for the baptism of fire. So that... Christ can live and operate in you. That's his primary agenda. The result of that, when Christ moves in, is he begins to demonstrate in and through your behavior, in and through your actions, in and through your thoughts, the person of Jesus Christ. These hands suddenly behave as Christ's hands. These feet suddenly begin to behave as Christ's feet. These eyes begin to look and utilize themselves the way Christ would use an eye. This mouth begins to speak the words of life and God on planet earth. This heart begins to feel his burdens. See, this, this body is now the body of Christ. It belongs to him. 
And there's a heroic obligation upon it. It's been set free. It's been cleansed so that it can now be an instrument of righteousness in this earth. So honor is the evidence of you being in Christ and Christ being in you. Prove it. Prove that this is a reality. This is what Christ does. He demonstrates. He bears fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the evidence of Christ at large within the human body. And he showcases love as the primary. Love is what he demonstrates to the world. And heroism is the essence of love, of givenness. You take the low position and serve and give to everyone around you. So honor, heroism and honor, are very closely tied. Now what I'm about to get into, I'll just keep moving here, is the idea of a little hero. Big hero, Jesus Christ. Little hero, you and me. We're not that impressive. You know, we can esteem the grandness of Christ's sacrifice at Calvary. And our little pitiful first steps are like a toddler's first steps. You know, you could take, uh, I, I grew up in the days of Carl Lewis. Remember the Olympian? And that guy was just, I mean, just amazing. He, I mean, I don't know how many Olympic golds he got in that one uh, Olympics. It was like six in one summer. But he could move. You compare a little one-year-old learning to walk against Carl Lewis's movement physiologically. You know, there's a discrepancy between the two. However, they both have the same potential. I mean, I don't know if every one of us could be Carl Lewis, but we, both, we all have the potential to run and to move. And so a little hero is like, it has the DNA, it has the beginnings, but it needs to be shaped, it needs to be honed. Okay, now I'm going to direct this to more of the practical side now. I've been talking more of the grand scale uh, concepts of heroism. I'd like to begin to unpack the idea of a little hero because this affects us at two levels. I want you to take it personally today. When we go through decorum, it's hilarious because it's very, very personal. We talk about tipping. Tipping? Who cares about tipping? You know, tipping in our culture actually is a statement of love and respect. If you don't tip or you tip poorly, did you know that you're actually sliding that person? It's an offense. And you can say, I don't see anything in the Bible about tipping. Well, there's a lot about love. And there's a lot about respect. There's a lot about showing honor and deference to those around you. And decorum is the fleshing of that out. We talk about returning your shopping cart uh, that you take and putting it away where it's supposed to go or taking it back to the place. It belongs to them. They're letting you borrow it. You take good care of things that you borrow. So they're little practical things, okay? What I'm about to get into is basically the training I have for Hudson. I want to read this first, and then I'm going to talk through that. A little hero, one built after the pattern of the big hero, Jesus Christ. A rescuer in the making. A pint-sized intercessor. A little hero must prove to be always honorable, loving, responsive to need, pure of heart, protecting, brave, courageous, quick to forgive, truth-telling, respectful, generous, self-controlled, clean, orderly, alert, and of course, happy and enthusiastic. Some of you parents in here are going to be like, this is a good list. And my, your kid's like doodling on something. It's like, uh, you listen to this. Uh, okay, this is my vision for my children. By the way, if any of you aren't parents, kids don't pop out of the womb like this. And here's the other interesting thing. We do not pop out of the spiritual womb like this either. Okay, when we are growing up into the person of Jesus Christ, we pop out of a spiritual womb. It's a very real new birth that takes place within us. 
However, there needs to be something called discipleship. There's a process of being trained and tested and honed and pruned. And if we reject that process in our life, did you know that we stunt in our growth? I don't want to be pruned. Who said anything about pruning? Well, do you need to get to the actual scripture on it? We could do a little journey through John 15 on, on that. We don't want it. We don't want to be disciplined. Hey, hey, I didn't sign up for this. You know that kids oftentimes don't really appreciate discipline either. However, if discipline is administered lovingly, appropriately, gently, consistently, children actually respect it in that process. You know, it's funny. My children... They could have that bad mood, and then they need a discipline. You know, they have deliberate rebellion or whatever it is, defiance, the rolling of the eyes, the disobedience. You know, it it comes in various packages. However, when they're disciplined, it sets their soul free. They actually are happier after they're disciplined. Now, that doesn't mean abuse. We have all sorts of bizarre things that have happened in Christianity under the idea of discipline. But I'm talking about good, healthy, biblical application of correction. It actually sets a soul free. And so when you're training a little life, and we could ask every parent in here, what parent wouldn't want their child to be a rescuer in the making, a pint-sized intercessor? Oh, wait, I'll I'll describe it for you in just a bit here. Uh, How about this? Honorable, loving, responsive to need, pure of heart, protecting, brave, courageous, quick to forgive, truth-telling, respectful, generous, self-controlled, clean, orderly, alert, and of course, happy and enthusiastic. Sign me up. Is there like something I can pay for this? You know, a thousand bucks for each of my kids. We'll save up. We'll get an account going, every one of us as parents. If it's just something that we need to save up, it doesn't work that way. Any more than it did for Simon the Sorcerer wanting the Holy Spirit that way. We approach the truths of the kingdom of heaven on God's terms. And he says, you obey. You take the next step forward. As parents, see, we have this from two angles. You're going to get this message. One is for you. Because I'm going to go through things that I'm training Hudson in right now, and you're going to think, I never got that. That's okay. I didn't either. Okay, there's a lot of things in this list that I need. I need to be watchful of how I say that too loud. I don't want Hudson to know too much. Uh, But they are. It's it's a really, it's a fun list, okay? This is just... Nitty-gritty, practical Christianity. Let me tell you what it's, what it's about. I'm going to be doing some international traveling in the next couple of years. And some of the spots are more dangerous than others. And I would like to begin taking Hudson with me. I want him to begin to become familiar with the realities of the world out there. I want him to see the need out there. I want him to see orphans in their situations. I want him to behold the need in a dying world as opposed to having daddy just tell him about it and show him pictures or videos about it. I want him to smell it. I want him to see it and taste it from a young age. And I want to see these things shaped within him. However, he has to be made ready for that. And as I've told him, he's not there yet. He's not ready. And I cannot christen him as ready until he can pass the test. And so I'm about to give you the test. Okay, these are the things. It's like knighthood. Except it's a little less than knighthood. Knighthood, you need to slay dragons and things like that. This is a little, little smaller than that. However, this is the first stage of development for the little hero. Okay? You can measure yourself against it too. The making of a little hero. And this is the four things that 
this is a different list than I was just telling you, okay? These are the four things that make a little hero. First, they must catch the epic vision of the mighty and heroic life. They must see it. They must know what they ought to be. They must embrace the fact that no matter how hard they try, they can't pull off this impossible, extraordinary mission on their own. In other words, you can have a little six-year-old that catches the vision of saving 148 million orphans. However, that little six-year-old also has to begin to realize he can't put a dent in it in his own strength. There's nothing he can do, but there's something God can do in and through him. And they must reckon the empowering grace of Jesus Christ and grab a hold of it as the great secret to success. Oh, if I could just stick this in my children, I know it. That's what's so funny about parenting. That's what's so funny about pastoring. There are things I know if I could just inject them into you. And I can't. The Spirit of God has to awaken and warm and ready a soul. And I must continue to stay consistent in presenting the truth to you. And then one day, I say the same thing I've said ten times. You go, I see that. Boy, how come, Eric, you've never said this before? How many of us as parents have, have had that happen? It's like our kids come out, you never taught me this. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I need to carry a tape recorder around with me. <laughs> they must allow their lives to be completely rebuilt by God himself. He must be allowed to transform them into little saints and little soldiers. That was C.T. Studd's great design. He says, we are being commissioned to be trained up to be saints and soldiers. And so... That little hero must be allowed, he must uh, be trained up into a little saint and a little soldier. The little hero test, 13 proving points of the ready hero. You see, I'm going to be in meetings where I need Hudson to not whine, to not interrupt, but to sit still, to focus, to show respect when he receives a plate of food that doesn't look very appetizing, to eat it without question and a big smile on his face. You see how this can be rather challenging? How do you train a child for this in America where everything is given to you that you want, but on the mission field, it doesn't work that way? Well, how in the world does this work? Well, here's our 13 proving points of the ready hero. Number one, always demonstrate honor. A little hero always exhibits the behavior of heaven. He does nothing disgusting or rude. He does nothing disorderly or diminishing to others. He always edifies his friends and family. And he is always watchful not to speak or dress or live or behave in a disrespectful way that would make others feel awkward. In every situation we are in, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Most of us say, hey, I have freedom in Jesus Christ. I can dress any way I want. I can speak any way I want. I can do anything I want. I'm under the blood of Jesus. I'm under grace. You have no idea what it means to be under grace then. You are set free from the law of sin and death and your own selfishness and your old man so that now you can finally behave as heaven desires you to behave. That's what righteousness is, as one ought to be. We are not saved by our perfection of being as we ought to be. We're saved by his perfection of being as one ought to be. We're in his righteousness. However, underneath that cloak of righteousness is a very real work upon our own souls. And God is changing us, informing us. He's shaping our attitudes. He's shaping our words and our behavior. And we must understand in every culture that we enter, 
that there is a way in which love and respect is shared. In Japan, uh, you know what that makes me think of. In Japan, ludi mean nerd. Uh, that's what came into my head when I said that. Uh, but in Japan, after a meal, if it's a good meal and you want to show respect and love to the hostess or host, you burp. Okay? If you do the same thing in America, I want you to realize that would be an affront. That would be disgraceful. That would be rude and disrespectful to your host or hostess. In other words, you must learn that when you are reaching the Jews, you understand the Jews. And you learn to reach them in accordance with that pattern. When you're reaching those under the law, you reach them as if you're under the law too. When you're reaching those that are without the law, you reach them without the law, still bound by the law of Christ. In other words, we learn how to express love and respect in every situation we're in, and that's what honor is. If it is inappropriate for you to wear jeans in one of your mission trips, I remember that. I think it was South or, uh, Mexico or Central America. Someone could probably correct me where it's like, no, it's inappropriate uh, for girls to wear jeans. And all the girls are like, what? You've got to be kidding me. I, I need to wear a dress down there? Hey, honor. Don't think about yourself. You're thinking about them. What's your goal? To reach them. Don't create an unnecessary stumbling block so that they cannot be reached. And so we practice this in our home. We practice this because every culture you come into, there's a language of respect. There's a Ludi code. And my children need to learn to show respect to the Ludi code. No, you don't interrupt. No, you don't do it that way. No, you don't speak that way. No, when you're sitting at the table, this is the way we behave in the Ludi home. We don't burp after our meals. Okay, just as a rule of thumb for the Ludi home, that's how it works. So if you ever come over to visit, you can know that ahead of time. <clears throat> Number two. Live a clean and orderly life. Some of you parents are really getting excited about this. Uh, a little hero keeps things in order. He keeps things clean and tidy, whether it's his room, his desk, or his body. And by doing this, he's demonstrating the fact that his God does all things decently and in order. Our God is a God of cleanliness, light, order, and purity. And his little heroes must reflect this quality. Doesn't that make sense? First, cleanliness and order demonstrate respect to God, and then to your fellow man, and even unto yourself. We think and live more nobly when our environment is marked by excellence and order. We act more confidently and with greater stature when we are clean of body and groomed with attentiveness. So I'm going to go through two subpoints on this. First, a clean and orderly room and desk. Hudson has to prove that he can keep his room clean and he can keep his desk orderly. He needs to show order and cleanliness in his life for him to pass the test and be able to travel with me. A little hero in training has a practice ground with his own personal space. His bed, for instance, should always be kept neat. And if it gets ruffled in the night, then first thing in the morning, it should be groomed with great attention to detail. <clears throat> we have a problem with the great attention to detail parts. You know, there's these little rolls and little rusty is under the, there's this lump in the middle of it. Uh, so with great attention to detail, not one wrinkle, sheets, blankets, and comforters evenly distributed over the bed and crisply presented to anyone who might have occasion to see it during the day. And if at all possible to avoid the buildup of dirt upon the sheets, a rescuer in training is watchful to ensure that his sheets are washed and freshened weekly. This is good stuff. See, some of you are saying, what? <laughs> really? A little hero in training must determine a place for everything. 
Clean clothes, dirty clothes, toys, books, pencils, pens, extra change, etc. And once he determines the place for these things, then he must make sure that these things, though they be used during the day, are always immediately put back into their proper place after use. This will help to ensure a tidy environment and thus a sharper mind and a greater confidence. My grandpa, my, my mom's dad, always had a philosophy, and that was, if there's a dirty dish in the sink, clean it. It's actually rather profound if you think about it. Because we have a tendency to build up the dirty dishes, and then when we get around to it, we'll clean it. It's a dirty dish. You take care of it. You clean it. Okay? In other words, you deal with what's in front of you. You constantly keep it orderly and neat. And as a result, your overall life will end up being orderly and neat. And as a result, it will demonstrate the behavior of heaven. When you walk into the throne room of heaven, do you picture a pile of underwear off to the side? We all know the answer to that. Does it smell in heaven? If God had a bed, would it be wrinkled? In other words, we're demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. We are royal emissaries. Let's do it right down here. It's not that complicated, actually. Okay, a clean and orderly body. A little hero in training keeps his body in order, healthy, clean, and fresh smelling. He learns to make sure his mouth is always kept fresh with frequent toothbrushings and periodic mouthwash. He wears deodorant in order that his personal smell not overpower any given environment. He bathes daily or as frequent as possible in order to maintain a cleanness to his body and a freshness to his bearing. He grooms his hair to make sure that it, is, it does not prove a distraction but only an enhancement to his life conversation. And he dresses in clothing that is appropriate for the situation, clean and pressed, in order that his bearing might be respectful to those he encounters in his rescuing journeys. You see, if you are not orderly and decent and respectful in your clothing choices, in other words, you show that, you know, you're wearing a wrinkled shirt. It's not the end of the world, and we all know it. However, it shows a disrespect to someone that you were going out of your way to meet, that you didn't take the time to show them the honor of being neatly dressed. Does that make sense? Okay, a little strange for me to be bringing these things up at church. And elderly, it's easier for me to talk about these things. Some of you out there are going, you can't talk about things like that in church. Much too practical. <laughs> Number three, be an alert and enthusiastic student. Hmm, this would change the world. A little hero loves to learn and thusly proves to be the perfect student. Let me do that first line again. A little hero loves to learn doesn't put up with education, loves it. This is what's training them to be excellent in this world. He never wants to miss a thing. No, 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 I don't start yet until I get in there. I don't want to miss a thing. That's the way we are with like movies starting. How about school starting? No, no, I'm going to be late. I need to hurry up and get there. I don't want to miss a thing. That's, that's good. That's what we're looking for. He gives his best effort to answer every question accurately and right. When I was in junior high, it was popular to be an idiot. It was. And my spelling acumen was off the charts. Everyone else, we had like these gradients up like chart one, chart two, chart three, chart four. And if you passed chart one, you would graduate to chart two. I was at chart 21. There was someone else who was chart 20 and then everyone else, the next was chart five. 
Okay, so I, would, I felt totally isolated and awkward. I did not want to be one of those nerd type of people. And it's all smart. So I would pur- purposely misspell. I would purposely answer questions wrong and that my friends would laugh at me and I could fit in. Well, is that ridiculous or what? Okay, he gives his best effort to answer every question accurately and right. We're talking about becoming a little hero here. We're not talking about fitting in. We're not talking about being popular. We're talking about giving glory to Jesus Christ and show enthusiasm towards his studies and constant thankfulness towards those teaching him. Thank you so much for teaching me. You know what? Where would I be if I didn't have someone like you teaching me? That's what I'm looking for. And even the areas that are harder for him to grasp and understand, he still maintains a cheerful mindset towards them, knowing that if he keeps trying, he will soon break through and understand. Number four, see what needs to be done and do it. A little hero always has eyes to see the needs of those around him. Every day in every situation, the little hero in training must learn to ask God the question, is there anyone I can be of service to right now? Most people spend all their time thinking about how they can serve themselves, but not a little hero. A true hero is interested in becoming a benefit to the lives of everyone around him. So he demonstrates this in a thousand and one different ways. If he sees the kitchen garbage filling up, he figures out where it needs to go and takes out the trash. If he sees the toilet paper roll is out, he hunts down a replacement. If he notices the floor needs sweeping, the dishes need washing, or a light bulb needs changing, he doesn't wait to be asked to help, he jumps up and gets the job done. For if he can learn to jump up and tend to these small things, then he will be prepared to jump up and tend to the bigger needs of rescue he may see in the months and years to come. Number five, no grumbling, no complaining. A little hero always shows an attitude of joy and contentment. He never, he's never ruffled and never concerned about getting his way. And as a result, he doesn't grumble or complain when things don't go as he would want. A little hero only cares about what God wants. And therefore, since God wants him to always be thankful, he bears all things with a smile of gratitude upon his soul. Number six, protect the little guy. Train to defend the weak. I like this one. A little hero always stands up for the vulnerable and weak. If he ever witnesses someone being taken advantage of, a child being picked on, or a person being left out, he must do something about it. Well, wait a second. Okay, here's my picture. I just gave this uh, picture to some men in uh, Sheridan, Wyoming this past week. Now, Hudson doesn't go to a public school system, so he's probably not going to be exposed to the things I was when I was growing up. But we had the type of thing where that little scrawny kid... You know what? He's just, he's always getting himself into that bad situation where the bullies surround him. One of the bullies says, the park tonight after school, we fight. Okay? And by the way, park across the street. You couldn't do it on the playground. Park across the street. These bullies would surround this little guy and literally beat him to a pulp. And all of us students would gawk. We would stand there and watch. New model. If you ever see a little one that is being picked on, here's what I would tell Hudson. He stands in front of the bullies, little one back here. And he says, leave him alone. Get out of the way. We're not fighting with you. We want him. You have to get through me to get to him. Now, Hudson might be half their size. He might be half their strength. But it doesn't matter. 
His job is to stand up and to defend the little guy, even if he gets beaten up right along with him. That's a little hero. And guess what? That's what a big hero is. It's exactly what it is. It doesn't matter if we win. We win by being obedient, not by if we come out alive. We win because we do the right thing and we showcase the kingdom of heaven in and through our behavior. And I guarantee you there's a lot of other people watching in that situation, including the bullies, including the little guy that is being picked on, that has seen a picture of Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. Number seven, don't be a pushover to pain. This sounds like daddy. What, what, what do I say, Hudson, when you fall down and bonk your knee? Get back up on the horse, right? That's daddy's famous line. So he'll tell Harper, get back up on the horse. Uh, but the point is, you are not curbed in your activities and in your flow of life by a bonk, okay? A little sting here and there, fine. You keep moving forward. As a matter of principle, you start to get a little headache. You start to have a little physical reaction in some way. Keep marching. We have a job to do on this earth. Don't be flimsy to the issues of the human body. You're a hero in the making. Could you imagine you're on the battlefield and your shoulder gets nicked with some shrapnel? Oh! You're laying on the ground. Mama! You need to learn how to handle pain so that you can keep marching in the time of great need. You're needed in this situation and you need to know how to handle the difficulties and keep moving forward. And you learn this with little small pains now. If you can't handle a little bonk, for instance, I've had the kid issue in my house where it's just like someone comes up and pokes him in the arm. Oh, you know, it's that massive overreaction. It's like, okay, that is ridiculous. How in the world are we going to be used for the rescuing of a lost world when we're collapsing because we were poked in the arm? Get back on the horse. Don't be a pushover to pain. A little hero must be able to face physical pain and practical difficulty with a brave calm and a composed spirit. A little hero doesn't whine, scream, yell, or dramatize his pain. Key line for some of the girls in here dramatize his pain. I know there's some guys that do it too, but uh, I have two little girls that have a tendency to really showcase that one. But rather governs it with an attitude of quiet, unwavering courage. Don't even let anyone know it happened. You keep marching forward. You keep your eyes on the prize. Hudson's been doing a good job with this. I'm really proud of him. He bonks. He usually tells daddy, I bonked, but I got back up on the horse. Good boy. Good boy. You keep marching. Number eight, if you make a mistake, make it right and quick. A little hero doesn't have a burdened conscience, but a happy one. He keeps his accounts short and takes care of them daily. If he slips up, he makes up. If he hurts someone, then he is quick to ask forgiveness. If he makes a mistake, then he is purposeful to make it right the very same day, as far as it depends on him. If he does anything wrong, at the slightest levels... Make it right and quick. The quick is what I want to emphasize here for all of our souls. A little hero doesn't allow time, doesn't allow water to get under the bridge with an offense. If you know you've offended your brother, sister, mother, father, friend, anything, you make it right and you make it right quick. And in doing so, you're showing the attributes of a hero. Number nine, always tell the truth. 
A little hero is bound by truth. He cannot tell a lie. Not because he is physically unable to speak falsehood, but because he is governed by the behavior of God, who is always a truth teller. A little hero ensures that every word that emits from his lips is a word that heaven would applaud. Always truthful, always right, and always honoring to God. Always. Number 10, defer to the elder. A little hero has a tremendous respect for his parents and those who are older than him. As a statement of honor and respect, a little hero is always predisposed to show deference to the elder person in any given situation. Whether that means to rise when they enter the room, or give up his chair to them, or show them the dignity of his attuned listening ear when they speak. The elder is of great importance to the little hero. I remember my granddad, uh, my dad's dad, he didn't speak very loud. He had a hearing problem, and so he had a hearing aid in. And when he spoke, he tried to curb his volume because he didn't want to speak too loudly. And so he spoke, and I could hardly hear him. And I didn't understand what he was saying, but he was speaking intently, and he was trying to pass on Christian masculinity to me. What does a little hero do? <laughs> Focuses with everything he has. Uh-huh. Yes, granddad. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it was hard work. You see, a little hero shows deference, which means respect to those that are elder, older, okay? We've lost this in our culture. We mock the older generation. We think they don't know anything. I can't tell you. I mean, public school system, one of the number one things it does, by the way, Christian schools do it too, but they create a contempt towards the parent generation. They don't know anything. Oh, as if you in junior high do. You know what sophomore means, by the way? A moron who thinks he is wise. That's what it means, by the way. That's the breakdown. Sophia, soft, more, moronic. All right, so any questions? Parents know a lot more than the sophomores think they know. Number 11, be extremely generous. A little hero seeks to give away that which God has given him. Just think about what we've started with, heroism. You freely received, now freely give. Now at the practical level, you have, been, you have received resources. Hudson has an allowance. He can earn money throughout the week by doing certain things. Well, a little hero seeks to give away that which God has given him. A little hero's mindset is, God freely gives me resources so that I might freely give my resources to help those in need. So whether that be money, time, strength, talent, compliments, encouragement, thoughtfulness, or just a listening ear, the rescuer is always eager to give away the best things God has entrusted to his care. Number 12, look at this one. This is like a parent's dreamland. Eat what is set before you. Hudson has to do this well before I can take him to other countries where he's going to get some very funny delicacies stuck in front of him. A little hero never knows where on earth he will be doing his rescuing. Bombay? Mexico City? Palm Pen? Baghdad? Shanghai? But wherever it is, the rescuer must be prepared to show courage and respect in that environment. One of the most important ways to do this is with how he handles his food in this environment. Every culture on this earth 
has interesting, tasty, and sometimes very weird food on its menu. Ever try octopus? How about deep-fried grasshoppers? Dog meat? Turtle soup? Chicken feet? How about bat? So the little hero in training needs to learn how to eat what is put in front of him. It both, it's both a show of courage and a show of respect to the people that set the food before him. Effort has gone into the preparation of the food, and a true hero learns how to get the food down without groaning, complaining, grimacing, hesitating, or spitting the food back up. No one is saying it is easy, but sometimes you are better off just not asking what it is you are eating. After all, bat may be a rather tasty dish if we just could get past the notion that we are eating bat. So we practice this right now. And adults, some of us have developed bad uh, characteristics. I thought Ben was very impressive in Indonesia. I was just very glad it wasn't a uh, moral responsibility that I follow suit to eat that squishy thing that Ben had. Uh, But we did get it on film. If any of you want to ask Ben, uh, he has a good film of it. It was hilarious. Uh, Number 13. Face the creepy crawlies with confidence. Now, I want you to realize this is hero training, right here. We are dealing with one of the number one reasons why some of you are unwilling to travel anywhere in the world for Jesus Christ. The reason I use the term creepy crawlies is that's, that's the term that Amy Carmichael used because she was scared to death over the fact that if God was calling her to travel as a missionary, she would have to face creepy crawlies. And she could not handle a little spider walking up her wall let alone some of the things she was about to walk into in India. We must learn how to face the little bugs, the insects, with confidence. Okay, now Hudson still doesn't really like bugs, but he needs to learn how to be a protector for little Harper and little Avonlea, you know, and if he needs to get out his shoe and go... Uh, that's fine. He needs to learn how to rise up and be the one to face the difficult situation. In a home, is there anything more disgraceful than the man running and the woman having to come in and kill the bug? We as men, even if we don't like those bugs, have to be willing to face them. And so we might as well train our young'uns how to do it right from the very beginning. We cannot be afraid of bugs. We must, see, daddy doesn't like bugs, okay? I do face bugs, but I'm not a big fan of them. If we're at one of those, you know, museum types of things where that you can hold the tarantula, I'm perfectly fine not doing it. You know, I don't have to do it. There's no rule here that says I need to. However, it probably would be good for daddy to allow it to sort of run up his shoulder and around the other side, and I can just stand there and go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I can do this. I can do this, okay, let's go. Daddy could use a little of this. Uh, A little hero is not afraid of anything. The only thing he fears is his God, and so nothing on earth should strike fear within his soul. And the first way this is proven for the little hero is often through how he handles bugs, spiders, and other such creepy crawlies. He should face them with courage and practice being calm of soul and fearless in the face of fearful things. That's our list. That's the 13 proving points uh, that I'm asking of Hudson to rise up, to begin to demonstrate 
miniature manhood. That's a pint-sized intercessor. It's a little guy who is beginning to express the nature of Jesus Christ at the most basic levels. That's where it starts with all of us, though. We're talking about practical training in a house and in a family, but I want us to realize many of us are newborns or toddlers in our spiritual development, and we have not been willing to allow God to press us forward into heroes. I don't know that I really need to do any of these things. See, these are just issues that show symptoms. They're like symptoms of a deeper issue. Selfishness, fears, anxieties. These touch on them. We don't, we're lazy. We don't, we don't want to have to do that. We see a need, but someone else can rise up and do it. I don't have to be the one. If you ever see a need, you be the one to rise up and do it, even if you clash with five other guys as you're running to hold the door. You show an instant response to the needs that you witness around you. Begin to demonstrate Jesus Christ in practical ways. The world turns upside down. Like I said, that little boy that's being picked on, what do you think his thoughts are when little Hudson stands in the way and is beat up because he was willing to stand up for that little boy? That little boy would probably do anything for Hudson for the rest of his life. It's not because Hudson won, and it's not because the little boy wasn't beaten up as well. It's just that Hudson demonstrated love in that situation, the same love that Jesus had when he stood in front of the devil when he was coming after us. That's practical Christianity that needs to start at the youngest ages because it didn't start in us at young ages. So most of us right now are like, how in the world do you even cultivate this? We start right now with us, and we start training it into the next generation. Let's get this ship arrighted so that we can begin to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven on earth again. We need to become little heroes before we can be big heroes. And big heroes, once again, are not doing it for the photo op. When you're a little hero, you learn to do it not because you're going to get a star on a little sheet of paper in the kitchen. You learn to do it because it pleases Jesus Christ. And we learn to do these little things not because someone's going to pat us on the back and go, you know what, that's really heroic. But we're going to do it because it resembles Jesus Christ, even if no one ever sees it. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.